Good evening and welcome to Lave Radio. I'm your host, Ben Edelweiss Moss Woodward, and joining us in the Orange Sidewinder this evening is David Westman from Impella Studios. That is correct. We'll do some starters for 10. Can you introduce yourself and tell us what things you're currently playing or anything like that? If you've even got any time. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, a very good question. An astute observation. Uh, once you enter game development, you find yourself with much less time to play games. Um, and I actually enjoy a lot of different things. Um, I just uh, got a... I like tabletop games, too. So recently, the game I've been playing the most is a game called Splendor. And uh, my wife routinely kicks my ass at it. <laughs> it's a good thing she doesn't like 3D combat simulators because that would be embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, recently picked up uh, Shadow of Mordor, heard, heard all the hype, and so, oh, well, I, I got to pay attention. Um, it, but it, yeah, it's fascinating. It's really interesting with how they do narrative in the game. And I'm teaching the class this term on narrative design. Any of that getting fed into Starfighter? Um, no. <laughs> yeah, because our, our concept for narrative is very different because it's a multiplayer game. Uh, the basic idea is that, well, this also depends somewhat on what level of funding we get, but the idea was that we would present various mission scenarios and depending on the outcome averaged over however many people participated, that would drive the, the narrative. So, you know, side A wins that battle. Okay, then the narrative is that side A won the battle and we move on from there. The idea was to, to try to create a narrative structure that would be driven primarily by player actions and not by designer imagination. <laughs> the way I've kind of been picturing it has almost been a cross between Unreal Tournament with Battlestar Galactica. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we in the Kickstarter video, we used the, the elevator pitch phrase of World of Tanks meets Counter-Strike, but in space. So, yeah, we're trying to convey the idea that this is primarily a multiplayer hardcore combat game drawing on the games that, that we love the people on the team. We're all serious, hardcore gamers. We like competitive games. We like games where you're playing with other people and against other people. So you're seeing this as primarily a hardcore PvP type game? Yeah, it's, well, because here's the thing. The core gameplay mechanic, the interaction model that really got us excited and what we, again, in the Kickstarter video, we say something about this being the spiritual successor to X-Wing uh, as a space combat shooter, it's that experience. In the cockpit, in space, dogfighting, didn't mean to imply that it was like the X-Wing TIE Fighter series in terms of story. This is Star Wars is, is largely about story, but it was more about what's the gameplay about. That's our focus. A lot of the feedback that we've gotten from backers is that well, yeah, but we really, really, really love those single-player story-driven campaigns, so that's really what we want. And you know, when we started this project, we thought about, is is that something that we can do? Is that something that we want to do? And pretty much we all agreed, yeah, that's something we'd like to do. We we would love to do that. But to do it at the level that that uh, players would expect, you know, compete at a AAA level... It's a really, really expensive proposition. Um, 
I mean, it was one of the things that shocked me early in my career was when I saw the budget breakdown on for games like X-Wing and TIE Fighter and how much was spent on art and how much of the art budget was devoted just to the cutscenes. It, it led to one of the more foolish uh, <laughs> uh, choices that I've made in my career for X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. I really, really did not appreciate how great the uh, demand was for story. And because so much of the feedback that we got on X-Wing and TIE Fighter was, we want multiplayer, we want multiplayer, please, please give us multiplayer. So when we did X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, okay, here you go, here's multiplayer. And our own experience in the office playing multiplayer games, Command and Conquer, Descent, Doom, was that we'd have these intense gameplay sessions and then we'd all have this excited conversation in the hallway. And then we'd go back and play some more and more excited conversations. So it was like, we're telling our own stories. And I thought, let's give our fans the toolkit to tell their own stories. They can play multiplayer and then they can tell their own stories. And well, Star Wars fans, no, we want you to tell us a story. <laughs> yeah, I have to admit, my favorite out of those series of games would definitely be TIE Fighter. Um, I adored the storyline in TIE Fighter, especially the interaction with Darth Vader and the Emperor and things. Uh, <laughs> so I got to share a little anecdote with you on that one. At, at one point, uh, because you fly as Darth Vader's wingman, I, I wrote some dialogue, some lines for Darth Vader. And I tried my best to channel Darth Vader. And what would he say to an aspiring pilot? And LucasArts told me, yeah, that's that's too dark. You're going to have to tone it down. <laughs> yeah, He'll always be little Annie to us. <laughs> I know. I said, like, what? He's ultimate personification of evil. You know, I thought I captured that. But, um, yeah, I mean, so in, you know, back then we responded uh, with the Balance of Power campaigns that I thought were among the best work we ever did that were, you know, true story-driven campaigns with the uh, some of the best cutscenes that we ever did and also supported up to eight players in co-op, which in 1997, nobody was doing that. Yeah, that was really impressive. I mean, it sounds almost like you're wanting to make, I I dread to say this, but almost the same idea as Squadron 42 with Star Citizen, how you're almost building, they're building two games, one story-driven, one open world. You guys are maybe wanting one story-driven with all the community background and the multiplayer ships and all that kind of stuff with your $17 million stretch goal versus the Counter-Strike, the Unreal Tournament, go in and shoot people kind of thing. Yeah, well, because that first tier, that was something that we all recognized is that's practical, that's achievable. Um, yeah. And we've all been working for free, <laughs> as it is. And so it's like, you know, even if this Kickstarter doesn't succeed, we're going to continue working on it because it's something that we're really passionate about. We're having fun with it. You know, that said, we also recognized it as, well, this is this is the foundation on which we can build. And depending on what kind of support we get, we honestly believe that there's a lot of people out there that love the genre that aren't completely satisfied with the offerings that are out there right now. And that was the the aspect that we saw where we could differentiate ourselves from everybody else by really focusing on combat. That that is, that is our primary goal is to create a really immersive, awesome, intense combat experience. But we're all 
industry vets with a lot of experience and we've learned how to scope projects and how to plan for not just expansion, you know, but, you know, God forbid bad things happen. Plan B is like, well, what if we have to cut scope and features? So, you know, the, the stretch goals reflect that, that we've thought about how we could make this bigger and better and appeal to more people. And, you know, honestly, what's that likely to cost? You know, depending on the support we get, we're going to deliver as much as we can. That's our motivation is we just love making awesome experiences for people and we want to share that with people. Yeah, I mean, I've been talking about the stretch goals with the, the rest of the guys of the Orange Sidewinder, and I think we all agree it's, you've, you've set it out in an incredibly smart manner where you've got a really achievable Kickstarter goal, and then everything else is gravy, but it's really, really nice gravy. That sounds great. <laughs> Thanks. Well, and yeah, I've, I've supported a lot of Kickstarter projects of my own, uh, that, that I've thought were really cool. And, you know, leading up to this, this has been a long time coming. A lot of smart people on the team. We've researched Kickstarter. We really thought, you know, we consulted with a lot of people. We thought we'd planned everything out really well. And, you know, a lot of the feedback is, well, you didn't do this right. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're right. We, We should have had, you know, more tears and we should have done that. So we're learning and we're hopefully people can see that we're responding as quickly as we can to the feedback and uh, we want to we want to make people happy I saw in the interview that you guys did with the escapist that you've got a very 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 early alpha that you guys have been trying how are you finding the multiplayer and the the Newtonian physics of that that's yeah so that actually goes back over a year where it's in a new engine now but over a year ago we had it in the unreal 3 engine and that was, you know, a lot of people on the team were familiar with it. We could get something up and working fairly quickly. And that was the, you know, that was the proof of concept for us. It's like, okay, this is our idea. Can can we make realistic uh, space combat fun? Because, you know, there was hesitation on the team. I was the person, you know, when I joined the team that I saw where they were going. And I thought, well, you know, guys, I mean, this, yeah, we could do this. But that's that's kind of what everybody else is doing, you know. The World War II in space, you know. So oh, we're going to recapture X-wing and Tie Fighter, and like, uh, let's let's try something that sets us apart, and you know, we'll see. Maybe it maybe it's not going to work. Maybe it is too hard, or maybe it isn't fun. Um, but we have to try. And so that first playable prototype that we did, we've got multiplayer over the internet. We had uh, I think up to six players in the first build, and the the controls were kind of frustrating and hard. The HUD was practically non-existent, but it didn't take that long. I think it was like 15 or 20 minutes, really, maybe. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, okay, I, I'm I'm getting the hang of this. And then, ah, I got gotcha. you. What? <laughs> like, all of a sudden, we're having fun. Everybody recognized it. It was this great moment. It's like, shit, it works. This this is it. We've got that that kernel of fun. We can build on this. Obviously, we've got a lot of experience with the Elite Universe, and one of the criticisms in Elite 2 Frontier was that the combat in that felt like jousting in space. What steps have you guys taken to avoid that? Well, so here's here was, and this harkens back to the X-Wing days, what really bothered me, probably only me, but, but 
It's like, uh, the X-Wing's doing 300, 400 miles an hour. That doesn't make any sense. And so my own internal rationalization was, oh, well, okay, actually, they aren't going tens of thousands of miles an hour, and they're augmented. The pilots are augmented to handle those speeds. Um, but for the purposes of this simulation for the consumer, everything slowed down. So our, our fiction in Starfighter is that you are augmented. The pilot's brains are functioning at 100 times normal human speed. So when you're doing 40,000 miles an hour in the simulation, that's what your speedometer says. But as this augmented pilot, it seems like 400 miles an hour to you. And that conveniently worked out for us because you know all of the research I've done, and I've read tens of thousands of pages of information on aerial combat, is that for dogfighting, the optimal speeds for that to occur are between 200 and 800 miles an hour. Uh, and coincidentally, with that 100 to 1 conversion factor, uh, that fits in neatly with the escape velocities for getting out of Earth orbit, for getting out to the moon. So I was that was one of the things that when I, when I realized that connection, like, oh, so that's how it could work. And so far, it's it's working out pretty well. So, so the gimme basically in Starfighter is that everything is happening a hundred times faster than it actually is happening. Yes. Right. Because yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I know with Elite Dangerous, again, they've they've limited it down to around about the four hundred kilometers an hour or miles an hour sort of uh, speed. Mm-hmm. Um, just because otherwise you're you, you're turning and you're flying back and forth, and it's it, it's just boring combat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and the other thing that I, you know, this is something I learned um, with the X-Wing series, is that if the objectives of the mission are in a particular location, then you don't want to go flying off into the distance, you know, because in our game, you can keep accelerating and you can get faster and faster and faster, but pretty soon you're going to leave the, the battle space that contains your mission objectives, and so you're going to lose just because essentially you ran away. Yeah, although in X-Wing and things like that, that was also a good way to avoid the combat. So you sort of, you go mm-hmm. out silly amounts <laughs> and then come in from a weird angle, nobody's expecting you, and that's how you, you get in there under the radar, as mm-hmm. it were. And and you'll be able to use that tactic somewhat in, in Starfighter. Uh, the other thing, though, that, that uh, everybody learned really quickly is that you don't, press down on the accelerator all the time. Um, because of Newtonian physics, you've got momentum. So really what you do is you accelerate in bursts and and coast and alter your uh, attitude and, and apply thrust to change your vector as needed. Uh, but it, it sets up a different feel for how dogfighting combat works. That It really is very different. And We've seen, as we've been playtesting, a lot of different tactics evolving that nobody's ever seen in any other game. Um, I was just talking to one of, our, one of our artists who was concerned about how we represent engine thrust and shouldn't that be something that causes some damage? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, any weapon, or I'm sorry, any engine powerful enough to be interesting 
is also a really good weapon. <laughs> and so a tactic is to, you know, accelerate on an intercept course towards an enemy. And at the last moment, you go into an evasive maneuver in which you basically turn your tail towards that enemy ship and torch them. So your main design is going to be closer to... Um... Oh, the ships in BSG where you've got your big engines at the back and then just manoeuvring thrusters everywhere else rather than, say, the Babylon 5 approach where you've got the great big engines and they can go any direction, basically, couldn't well, they? Well, no, we're going to do both. Um, okay, yeah, we've, cool. we've got, uh, we got really lucky. We have this guy, uh, Zach Hodge, who's uh, an engineering whiz, and he's come up with some really really imaginative designs for fighters uh, that they're unlike anything anybody else is is doing is another reason i love them is it, it again helps us uh, differentiate ourselves from everybody else um, i i love the cool look of a lot of ships that are in the other games but if you think about it it's like, well that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense why are you creating what looks like a modern day jet aircraft <laughs> and putting it in space <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's a spaceship not a not a airplane yeah now you know that said if if that particular craft is designed to do space and atmospheric flight then okay you've got a rational explanation for that and we'll have some craft that do that uh but we're we're really excited about this possibility of exploring the pure spacecraft look and uh some of his designs it's like i the first time i saw them i was like wow this is so weird and so cool and uh one of the aspects of our game is that we want to create this uh this believable world so what does the solar system look like a few hundred years from now when humanity has really started to to settle and industrialize it, um, so that requires that we have to think about the economics, the politics, and that industrial and tr transportation infrastructure. So there's mining facilities, there's space tethers, there's cyclers going on these long, slow orbits between worlds, and it all provides a context and a reason for combat that's it's not just made up it's like this is a believable world and part of that is that while there's a lot of mining asteroid belt is going to be a, a huge center of economic activity and so he designed some some spacecraft that are primarily for conducting mining operations but they're also armed and quite capable as combat craft and so we're exploring how that's going to play out with okay here's a pure space or a pure warship it's designed as a combat craft and then here's this multi-role craft and what's the balance between them and then we get into the interplay between the different weapon systems and electronic warfare aspects and drones We've really been putting a lot of effort into imagining how the entire combat space would actually look what the tactics would be and again Try to make it as believable as possible. So earlier on, you mentioned that your first draft, your your demo, was done using the Unreal Engine. Mm -hmm. 
What engine are you using your own? Is it CryEngine? <laughs> are you rolling your own, or what are you doing? I am not allowed to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair enough, and we have quite used to that. Yeah. It, well, it's 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 very frustrating our on our end, but uh, you know, out of respect of the wishes of the engine provider, we are currently working with somebody else's engine, and they've got a marketing plan, and so you know, we don't want to mess up their marketing plan but yeah it's it's kind of frustrating for us yeah or can i can i just make one beg please make the game feel awesome with joysticks oh you are preaching to the choir brother (laughs) i i have been a huge pain in everybody's ass about that to the point where you can't really expect everybody to buy extra hardware and i'm like you know <laughs> Tell that to the Elite Dangerous and, and Star Citizen. I, and community. I've been paying attention to that community, and I was particularly pleased. Just today, I was reading a whole comment thread about mouse and keyboard versus joystick, and it's like, yeah, mouse and keyboard works. You can get used to it, but you know, I switched to joystick, and I'm not going back. <laughs> yeah, we all love our hot asses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I saw that you're also doing stuff with Oculus Rift as well, and it just feels so immersive oh, jumping into. In a Cobra or whatever, and Frontier very definitely modeled their controls on the X52s. So you look down and you see the joystick and throttle that you're actually holding, and it, it just feels awesome. Yeah. Um, not this last GDC, but the one before, uh, all of the senior members of the team were at GDC, and uh, I think Corey was the first one to go try the Eve Valkyrie demo on the Oculus. And he, he, we all got this text. It's like, whatever you're doing now, stop. You need to go do this now. <laughs> yeah, and Eve sounds. Eve Valkyrie sounds very exciting. It, yeah, and and we did. And you know, my initial reaction was, wow, this is cool. And then my second reaction is, we have to do this. <laughs> it's just, it's a no-brainer. If you've experienced it, then you understand why it's. It's a it's such an important game changer and uh, it's it's really exciting that Oculus isn't alone that there's you know at least a, three or four other big companies that are also launching uh, their take on on that kind of a, a hardware experience and it's it's amazing because it's yeah it's finally a plausible consumer product and it's it's not a gimmick like 3D TV. You know, once once you've put on the the headset and looked around, there's no there's no going back. No, there really isn't. I mean, I've I've tried it, and I think that the Oculus Rift is still a ways to go. But even they know that. Um, I'm very interested to see what actually happens with the Galaxy Gear VR because I've got the Galaxy Note, and it seems, hey, it's it's a it's the same screen. Plug it in. It should let it work. It makes sense to me, but we will see what happens with that. So far, Starfighter Inc. has seemed like a pure PvP game, but we also allow bot matches for practicing and things like that. Well, initially, we were we were planning to have uh, what amounted to a a bot session. It would be the training mode, so that you could familiarize yourself with controls, how things work in the game, but based on a lot of the feedback we've gotten, uh, it it seems like we really should try really hard to to get a bit more of an elaborate uh, bot 
combat system in. And I'm, I'm confident that, that we will, because if you think about it, the advanced dogfighting missiles and drones that we're already planning to incorporate are going to require a certain level of AI. It's not that much further to get to the pilot level AI. Maybe not a good pilot. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've heard that it's sometimes easier to make a exceptionally great pilot oh. rather than a realistic pilot. Yes. There, yes. Um, and in terms of player experience, that's not actually a good solution. Is <laughs> like, yeah, we can no, make a not. pilot that will kick your ass every time, but that's not going to be fun. <laughs> that's not fun for anyone, is so, it? Now? Making a pilot that's challenging but doesn't look stupid, you know, it's not just cannon fodder, that, that is a challenge. Leading on directly from that, will you allow offline play so you don't need to be tethered all the time? It wasn't in our original plans, but I think what we're evolving towards now, it probably will end up being, not, maybe not the original release, but soon. Because, yeah, we've gotten a tremendous amount of interest in that, and it makes sense to me, too, that... One of the things about X-Wing versus TIE Fighter was that while all of the missions were designed to support up to eight players, they were actually scripted to handle any number of players. And if it was just one player, that player could be in any one of the eight positions. So the missions were designed and scripted. So, well, actually, one of our tools was there's nobody playing. <laughs> let's let's see how well balanced this mission is. Let's have it play itself. And you, you know, go into the mission editor and just use the camera controls to move around and watch things. So based on all of that, I, I think that's uh, something that's definitely achievable in the near term. It, it shouldn't be too terribly expensive to pull it off, but I don't want to make a definite promise that it's going to be in the initial release. No, I can understand that because... Of in Elite Dangerous's initial Kickstarter campaign, they did say they were going to have an offline mode, and then they basically pulled it just before release last year, and that created a massive furor, which Frontier is still facing, frankly. And I can understand, I understand Frontier's reasons for pulling it. I can also understand that if I'm say stuck on an oil rig, I can't play a game that requires online play all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, this is another one of those lessons I learned early in my career that that it's it's in your interest to provide players with as many opportunities to enjoy the product as possible. And you know, like the first really hard lesson I learned was about difficulty settings. <laughs> in X Wing there were none. And the game can be brutally difficult um, to the point where uh, I think mission four was the um, protect the medical frig frigate uh, mission. And uh, one dissatisfied customer was so frustrated that he chopped up the discs into little pieces and mailed them back to us. <laughs> uh, yeah, customers. <laughs> but the, you know, the, the, the lesson learned was that, you know, you know, somebody just spent 50 bucks and they want to enjoy this game. So, TIE Fighter had difficulty settings. It had built-in cheats that didn't require a cheat code. You just went to the option screen and you selected, I want unlimited warheads or I want to be invulnerable. You know what? Fine. We're going to reduce the score that you earn for the mission to you know, 10% of what it could have been. But 
you can progress, you can have fun, and that's the important part. Yeah, I mean, I've always felt that, especially in a single player offline where it's not affecting anybody else, if you want to have a bazillion dollars, who cares? The only person you're affecting is yourself. Yeah, and exactly. I know with, <laughs> oh, no, frankly, just about every RPG, I can't be bothered personally with most of the crafting. But with in things like Skyrim and such, like you need some of the crafting things. Mm. So I've gone off and basically summoned the thing that I need to complete the mission, and then I'll move on rather than doing their mission that I just don't care about. <laughs> um, which is it's blatantly cheating, but the only person I'm cheating is myself. And if you're good with that, who's to criticize? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's just no, let me skip over this part that I really don't care about. But yeah, it was, well, by the time that we did X-Wing Alliance, we had gotten so far as put in a feature where you could skip up to three missions. And it was because we'd gotten feedback like, I hate escort missions or I hate mine clearing missions or, you know, whatever it is, the particular type of mission that you're just not interested in doing, let's not force you to go through it. Yeah, here, press this button, skip it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm just playing GTA 5 at the moment, actually, and I think after you've tried a mission a couple of times and failed it, I think they come up with the skip option as well, which I've never taken, but I think it's there. Um, and it, it makes sense. Just let people get on and play their yeah. way. So so will Starfighter have cheat codes and stuff like that? Well, that would, that would really only make sense in a single player or an offline mode. Yeah, in the sort of bot, bot match kind of thing, give yeah. me unlimited missiles or whatever. So... You know, assuming that we were doing those modes, then yes, those those would be features that would would be included in those kind of modes. You mentioned that some of your ships have the ability for planetary landing. Do you think that you will have in atmosphere combat as well? We really, really want to do that, um, but that's we don't know if we're going to be able to pull it off. To be honest, it's one of the first scenarios that we thought of as being really, really cool would be to have a capital ship that is in a in an unstable orbit. It's going to crash. <laughs> and there, the, the mission objective for one team is to get an, uh, an assault transport onto that ship, you know, dock with it, so that uh, a crew can get inside and grab some MacGuffin. The other team is trying to stop that. But the setting is this thing is about to enter atmosphere and break up, burn up, explode. (laughs) Which, that sounds cool, right? And so we're all excited about, well, how do we make this happen? What what do we have to implement in our engine? Is this something that we can pull off? So it's it's definitely among our goals, and an intermediate step along the way is, okay, here's a large asteroid, there's no atmosphere, but it's kind of the same scenario, something's going to crash, and you have to get something out of it before it does. Yeah, it's, fingers crossed, we're, we're going to try to pull that off. So does that also mean you mentioned that you're basically going to be docking with the capital ship? Is there going to be some element of a first person in the game as well, then? No, that's going to be entirely abstracted. Um, okay. The, the the primary focus really is on the dogfighting, so being a, a fighter pilot. But as we've explored the ramifications of you know current trends in technology and military uh, practice, 
it's it's not just a dogfight. Obviously, there's support ships, there's electronic warfare. One of the uh, well tying into that mission I just described, there would be an assault transport. Now you might choose to pilot that ship, and a large part of your mission is just getting to the target, docking with it, and then manning turrets and you know defensive systems to keep the other guys at bay while your troops are inside doing their job and you you'll be getting radio messages letting you know about their progress and their setbacks and you know as long as you can hold out long enough they'll achieve their mission objectives and then you leave but it it was partly inspired by this idea um you know we've all played a lot of these games like counter-strike and world of tanks and when you're in a team-based uh match style game one of the things that's often frustrating for a lot of people is if you get killed early, you're just a spectator for the rest of the match. And we thought, well, some of these ships are going to have turrets. Could we let a player who's lost their fighter just man a turret? Yeah, that sounds reasonable. Well, if we're going to have player-controlled turrets, could we just have players start the match controlling a turret? Yeah, I guess. Why not? Um, so, and then we realized that's actually a really, uh, a nice accessible entry point for players who might be interested in this style of game, but haven't really played dogfighting games and maybe aren't feeling like they've got the skill set to, to do the piloting role, but they'd happily man a turret and blow things up. So, well, let's, let's invite them in. They can help. <laughs> Yeah, that's very true. I've got a friend who plays a fair amount of World of Warplanes, and whilst she can fly planes and things like that, she actually prefers going in the bomber and either flying the bomber or manning its turrets and things, just because it's a little bit more excessive to her. And you know, she's very much your your non-standard um, demographic. She's a lady lady in her mid sixties. Um, oh wow! And she's she plays elite <laughs> and she does a lot of gaming, but. Yeah, she prefers things at a slightly slower pace. Well, that's very cool. Well, and and I've I've heard from people over the years that you know, oh, I love X Wing, and they'd proceed to tell me how they play, actually played it. And the first time I heard this, I was blown away. But they played it co-op. One player had the joystick, the other player was on the keyboard, basically being the R two unit. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. So, we, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We thought, you know, we. We can implement the, our game in a way that it, it, it supports that sort of uh, play as well. Yeah, I've actually done very similar to that with Elite Dangerous, where I'm maybe flying the ship, but I'm letting my son do some of the sort of ba- the balancing of power or selecting of targets and things like that. Very cool. Yeah. And he's, he's you know, it just I'm letting him fly it sometimes, but when I'm flying a, a multi-million credits anaconda, well, not anaconda, but uh, vulture is what I'm in at the moment. I don't trust him in that yet. But... <laughs> Just being prudent, but you know, yeah. it's a great father-son bonding, right? Exactly, yeah. and you know, he has a, he has a lot of fun. well, he has a bit of fun in that. He's he's more into playing on his tablet and things like that, but he enjoys it. And his brother and his brother, sorry, his my brother-in-law and I both play Elite Dangerous. And my son joins in as and when he can sometimes. Very so fun. it's all good fun. Yeah. 
Right, so I suppose one thing which you've kind of touched on with the technology, but do you think that nowadays we do have the technology to launch a Star Destroyer full of TIE Fighters? <laughs> um, essentially, or what, what you're asking me is if we were doing a Star Wars game, what would it look like? <laughs> do you think that you'd have the ability for your capital ship to deploy thousands of ships? And frankly, would we even want that? Um, well... Well, so here's the trade-off. You can you can increase the number of craft, or you can increase the re- realism in the simulation. And when we went from X-wing to, to Tie Fighter, I thought we were going to go for increasing the number of craft to to enable more realistic portrayals of the large battles that we that, that the fiction says that this is what we're simulating, and the choice was made to go with no we're going to improve the the graphic the graphical look we're going to improve the visual appearance of things and the number of special effects that we're using so the the realism of the battle did not actually increase much between those two products and we're faced with a, a similar choice now so we can support a lot more craft and we can support a lot more realism and what's the balance for us what's the sweet spot we we're hoping one of our goals is to make the our damage model really really detailed and it's going to account for different types of weapons different types of materials in the ships and the various components of your craft that can take damage and uh, have degraded performance and how that affects your play style and your tactics. So, well, think about it this way. If I had a Star Destroyer and a full complement of fighters launching all within a few moments to get that maximum saturation, and then they encounter a similar number of rebels, and everybody's shooting, and things start to blow up, and now we have to track all of the debris in the old Star Wars games. There really wasn't any debris. Things just blew up and vanished. But we're actually going to try to model in some way that's plausible, at least the big chunks. There's now a lot of debris flying around. It's going to put an additional strain on the physics engine, on the graphics engine. We have to be careful how many things we put into play. The the hope is, and I'm pretty confident in our ability to pull this off, is that we're going to create an experience where you're you're just really amazed. There's a lot of things going on. The closer you look at things, you'll notice details that you don't see in other games. And it's just like, wow, they thought of that too. Cool. <laughs> it's, it, I mean, it's something I've been thinking about for years and years and years. It's, it's fascinated me for a long time. And finally getting the opportunity to, to see if we can pull it off. And the team is super excited about it. That's, that's the other thing. Is One thing I've learned in all my years in, in game development is... The, the team is so important when you when you know that everybody's on the same page and you all feel like you know we're doing we're doing something special this is cool it really motivates you you just you're, you're just so excited to get it out there on that note do you want to tell us a little bit about impella studios uh what would you like to know <laughs> oh, it's a new studio it sounds like it's a distributed studio yes so that is a very 21st century thing. 
various people involved are mostly in the United States. We've got a few in Europe and, and elsewhere. The, the pro side is that we can, we can work with the best talent wherever they happen to be on the planet. The downside is that it, it makes it a bit more difficult when you're dealing with various time zones. So communications requires more discipline. Uh, the online tools that we're using to support the project, you know, everybody's got to be on board. We're going to use these tools. There's no two ways about it. If you're all in the same room, things generally happen faster. But because we all have that experience, we know how to overcome the the challenges that are presented when we're not all in the same room. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I'm a software engineer myself, and we sometimes joke that if we had a mobile phone connection, we could do our work from the beach. Yeah, I suppose one thing I'm sure I'll get shot if I don't ask is, what is your experience with Elite and the Elite Universe? You know, it's it's the only game in the last several years that I... I bought, um, I purchased it just before it released so that I could get the pre-release bonuses. I installed it, I made sure it worked, and then I found no time to play it. Well, you're kind of busy <laughs> building your own game. Yeah, it's like, god damn it, this is, you know, because I, I, I joined some Elite Dangerous groups, you know, uh, through social media, so I... I I hear a lot about what people are enjoying about the game, and and yeah, it's very frustrating. <laughs> what about with Elite back in '84 or Frontier in the '90s? Did you play either of them? Um, I'm pretty sure I did have the first and or the second on the Atari ST. That's the full Newtonian one. Yeah, which would be Frontier. Yeah, I was. Uh, I actually managed an Atari ST uh, store, retail store, and at the time I was a shameless pirate. <laughs> and every game that came through, I made a copy of it. And yeah, it wasn't until I started working in the industry that I realized, oh, <laughs> these people work really hard. It's bad karma. I'm not going to steal games anymore. <laughs> yeah, I have to admit, my my first copy of Elite was actually given to me by my school teacher of all people. <laughs> uh, and I have actually confessed this to Frontier in the, already. And I've, I've been, it's okay, Ben. You've you've backed the game <laughs> and you've bought our game now. We, we'll forgive there you. you. Go. <laughs> <laughs> all of it. Well, so, yeah, yeah. So on that note, if all of the people who pirated X-wing, Tie Fighter, any of those games would just give us a dollar, <laughs> we'd hit our funding goals many times over. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys will be seeing any of this, but I have actually just rebought all the games on GOG. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was re- I was really happy when that when they brought those out. Um, I think they're even available on Steam now. Oh, I don't know. Um, I know that they're definitely all available on GOG, yeah. because we also do a, a retro gaming show, oh. and we've been progressing through most of the Star Wars ones, uh, the Wing Commanders, and such like games from the, the I guess, the heyday of um, spaceship games of the mid-90s. 90s. 90s were, were, I think, let's see trying to remember what the other dominant genres were, but flight combat games were one of the dominant genres for that decade. And Every, Everybody basically had a joystick. Yeah, yeah. And so when it 
it, it flatlined in 2000 and it was it was really baffling because it was like, well, where did everybody go <laughs> and i i still haven't figured out where everybody went but they didn't completely abandon their love of these kinds of games because you know in all the years since a frequent thing i've heard from people is well when are you going to make another one yeah well i mean there's a massive free space open community yeah yeah which is still keeping that game alive and I think X-Wing Alliance has got a fairly large yes. modern community as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I I was turned on to that by uh, one of the guys that we hired to join the team during the X-Wing versus TIE Fighter days, Bill Morrison. He got the job largely because he was a member of that community and they had hacked their own mission editor and he'd already <clears> been <throat> building missions for the game. Like, okay, this this guy's super dedicated. And yeah, in all the years since, that community has, has stayed active. They've rebuilt all of the, the models in the game, improved the graphics. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, I, I need to try getting it to work again with the GOG version, because the, the high-resolution graphics for X-Wing Alliance look absolutely beautiful still. So I'll need to get onto that. Anyway, I think we're just about running out of time now, so I need to thank you very much there, Dave. And is there any last words that you want to say? You are very welcome. Oh, just thank you very much. I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to help spread the word. Uh, it's very kind of you to take an interest in what we're doing. Uh, I hope everybody listening will, will back us and uh, have faith that we're going to deliver something that's going to really be a lot of fun and not like anything else you've ever seen before. Yeah, I think you're, you're currently just over halfway there with 18 days to go, aren't yes, you? Yes, fingers crossed. So, we're, so fing- we're, yeah, indeed. We're in I, that, I'm crossing my fingers we're too. We're in that traditional middle phase where things slow down. Cause yeah, it always dies uh, down, doesn't it? response is really exciting. We were all thrilled. And then, oh, it's it's slowing down. And Oh, that happens. Okay, okay. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> yeah, just keep breathing. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, you know, and it, uh, response to... A lot of our backers' comments. It, it's kind of funny that you know we spent all of this time researching and trying to understand. Okay, what's what do we have to do to have a successful Kickstarter? And we planned everything out, and then turns out we made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> it's a learning experience. Yeah, and so, but yeah, and we're learning fast, and we're we're taking those comments to heart and trying to respond as quickly as possible. And I think the the biggest single demand is you know we need to see some gameplay footage and we do have a little bit of in in in-game footage it just doesn't show any combat but right at the end of the kickstarter that's that is in-game footage and it's it's what the team is concentrating on now we're all really working hard to create some footage that we're proud of that you know we we know the game works we're not you know up until now we haven't been at the point where visually this looks triple a this looks competitive with the other big games and and we know that that's important the kickstarter crowd is as they've learned they've been burned they're very discerning and it's it's right for them to demand you know like we need to see gameplay we understand you know, we, we want to give that to you but we want to make sure that when we do it's you know there's there's nothing but a positive response yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense, and best of luck with the campaign. Thank so thank you very much for joining us, Dave, and until next time, fly safe, and if you can't do that, fly dangerous. Is your-
disconcerted. <laughs> Two seconds, I'll be right back.